Hey, welcome to our podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us for our study of Leviticus. How about that? If you're looking for some more information about Leviticus or about our church, you can check us out at newriverchurch.org. We'll look forward to seeing you there. Leviticus 26, verse 12, and God is speaking to his people, and he says, I... Can you say it out loud with me? I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I will walk among you. Just wrap your mind around that one. God wants to walk among you. That means that, means that God is interested in more than just being yours at church. Like, he wants to walk among you when you go to school tomorrow, you go to work tomorrow, when you go home today, he wants to walk among you. This is God's intention. He wants to walk among you. And as God walks among his people, well, guess what happens? The world encounters him. And you and I have this privilege of literally helping those around us to encounter the God of the universe his presence, and to be changed by it. And so God's, so if God is to do that, we've been learning here from Leviticus, God's calling us, he's a holy God, he's calling us to be a holy people, and, and we've learned that holiness, it's not you being a self-righteous religious prude. That's not holiness. That's the, that's the misconception of holiness, But the biblical proper understanding of holiness is literally a return to the way that God created the world. God created everything in its place. Everything worked according to his plan. It's just the way that he designed it to be. This is holiness. And this is how life works. But as we have learned, this is a review by the way, As we've learned, sin does not like God's order. Sin does not like borders. It does not like boundaries. It wants to make its own way. God has set creation up, Genesis chapter 1, with boundaries, borders. Earth, sky, land, sea. Day, night, male, female. These are divisions that God created. He put put everything in its place, see? And sin says, we don't want that. We think we can order it ourselves. And then the end result of that is chaos, confusion, because it's a broken order. And that leads to, well, in the middle of chaos and confusion, somebody's got to take charge. Somebody has to rise up and say, hey, I'm going to handle this mess. And so what happens as a result of that is people, instead of ruling the world together, end up ruling one another. And this leads to slavery. This is all review. We ended, that's how the book of Genesis ends. Ends with God's people enslaved in Egypt. And then Exodus opens up, they're crying out. God rescues them. He sets them free, delivers them out of slavery. And it's as though God says, okay, we're going to start over again. I'm going to start over again with this people called Israel. Let's pull them out. And he sets them aside and he goes, now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to teach you how to live holy. This is what he does. And so holiness there is a return back to, see, God's like, The sin, the chaos, the confusion led to slavery. I've set you free. Now let's reorder this. And uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit about when, like when our kids were little. You know, they would, we had a, we have a basement um, in our house, and that was kind of the kids' play, not kind of, it was the kids' playroom for many years. And so, you know how that works, like It doesn't take long before it looks like a disaster area and a hurricane went through our basement. And so, you know, every week, couple of weeks, Karis and I, Karis or I, or the two of us, we'd say, okay, gang, got to clean that mess up. We get down into the basement. But our kids can't even begin. They don't even know where to start. It's just too big of a mess. See, let me just compare that a little bit. Sin says, 
I can do this my own way. I can play however I want to play. It brings chaos and confusion. No matter how much we might think we can put it back into order again, we can't because it's too big of a mess. Anybody ever felt overwhelmed? Yes. It's overwhelming, isn't it? The mess that we, humanity, have made is overwhelming. So what do Karis and I do? We step down. Okay, gang, here's what we're going to do. Listen, stuffed animals over there, baby dolls over there, Legos over there. And we assign jobs. Catherine, stuffed animals over there. Carissa, baby dolls there. Caston, Legos there. We give them the jobs. And then, okay, one, two, three, gang, go. And then they're working to clean in the basement. This is a little picture of what you see happening in Leviticus. We've created this huge mess, God's rescued this people, and now God steps in and he goes, listen, okay, this is holy, right here, this is holy. This is common, people, and this is clean, and you can have that. This is unclean, you, you can't have that, don't, don't go there. And see, he's putting all the things back into order again, and this is the picture that we see in Leviticus. And one of the things that we're going to discover today is this, that God is concerned about the most mundane, basic parts, the embarrassing parts of our lives. This morning is going to be awkward. We're going to talk about menstruation and semen and pimples. It's in the Bible. You say, really? Yeah. If you're squeamish, you might want to get a barf bag because today is going to make you a little nervous today. Because one of the things that we discover is this, that when God begins to set things in order, God starts with the absolute most basic parts, the mundane parts of our lives. God is even interested in that. 1 Corinthians, the Bible uh, in the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul says this to them. He says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. It's in 1 Corinthians. Whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. So God cares about what I eat? Yes. And he cares about what you drink? Yes. And if eating and drinking is something that we need to do for the glory of God, as basic as that is, then what else does God want charge of in our lives? And the answer is everything. Holiness is not just for church services. If, if the God you serve is only good on Sunday mornings inside these four walls when you're feeling it, then that God's no good. The God we serve is a holy God. Holiness begins here, sure, but it extends out there into your home, your everyday life. And so last Sunday, we looked at the Day of Atonement in Leviticus chapter 16. And we said that's where it starts, the Day of Atonement. And it's the day when God hits the reset button on people. He says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to forgive all of your sin. This is the first thing that God does. In leading us in holiness, God takes care of the one thing that you and I absolutely can't take care of, our sin. So he comes in with blood, forgives the sin, washes it clean, hits the reset button. <sighs> and you remember that from last Sunday? That like the Day of Atonement was designed to be um, theatrical. It was designed for maximum emotional impact. And so there's the sights, there's the sounds, there's the smells, there's the feelings, there's the, the roller coaster ride of emotions all through the whole thing. And then if you can just imagine now, it's over. The sun is setting on the Day of Atonement. And the, the smell of the incense, it's still fresh in people's minds. The smell of the, of the meat burning on the fire still fresh in their minds. The, the, the sight of the scapegoat. Remember, they, they put all of the sins of everybody on this goat and then sent it out of the tabernacle. And so there goes all of our sin. That sight, that feeling of lightness and freedom. And yeah, everything is right with God now. 
we're forgiven. Oh, this feels good. And the sun is setting, and the fire on the burnt offering is still smoldering, and people turn to leave. They have to go home, don't they? You can't live there. You have to go home. The same is true for you and me. I mean, I think about over the years, we have had some profound encounters with God in this room. Lives have been changed in this room. Eternities have been shaped right here in this very space. But eventually, you got to go home. Can't stay here forever. You've got school tomorrow, you got work tomorrow, you got the dog poop in the backyard you got to pick up, you got that moldy cheese in your fridge that's been there for months. Come on, just get rid of that, man. You're not going to eat it. Just throw it out. You've got, I mean, you've got bills to pay, you, you got stuff to clean and do. See, maybe you and your wife have plans this week for a special date and you're looking forward to that and, you know, it's like, yeah, you've got life to live. See? So how do I do that as a holy man or woman of God? I can't just stay here. I have to go there. And the same is true for them. And so what God does is he comes in next and he gives these people what, peop what, what scholars call, these are called the ritual purity laws. He gives these people purity laws, ways to stay clean, ways to keep it going from here to out there. And so this morning we look at the ritual purity laws. Now these are to be, these are different from next week. Next week we're going to look at moral purity laws. Two different sets of laws. But this morning, ritual purity laws. And we're going to cover five chapters. Leviticus 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. But don't be worried because... Um, I'm going to skim them so that by the time we're all done, uh, you will have a sense for them because we're going to cover them all together because they really all deal with the same thing. They're all talking about ritual purity, and they're all really talking about living clean, avoiding unclean. Um, so that's what we're going to uh, get into. Now, before we, before we do, I need to explain something. You have to see this in your mind. Uh, think of... Uh, I wish I had thought ahead to put this on a slide. I didn't. Think of a spectrum. So you have holy here. Ready? Holy. And this is God's space, isn't it? Holy is God's space right here. And, uh, and God is inviting us into his space. And so to do that, we have to be holy, don't we? And so God, well, day of atonement, step one, he cleans our sin. He wants us to be holy so we can come and enjoy. But then we have to take this out of God's space into the rest of the world. And we go out of this holy space, we come out into the common space. Can you picture this? How are my hands doing at being uh, a visual? So holy space, common space. And in this common space, there's two different types of things, unclean and clean. Some things are clean, some things are unclean in this common space. Now, track with this. In order, a clean thing can become holy in order to come into the presence of God. Clean becomes holy so it can get into the presence of God. But unclean, unclean has to be made clean before it can be made holy. You follow my visual? You guys see that? Unclean to clean, to holy is how this works. So this is, this is what we see here in these chapters. I, we, I just had to show that to you because if you get that in your mind, now you can better understand 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15 in Leviticus, okay? Because what God's doing is he's teaching the people to say, okay, now listen, this is unclean, but unclean can be made clean so that then you can be holy and enter in my presence. Tracking? So this is what we go. And God starts, first of all, God starts, well, let me start here. Leviticus 10, verse 10. God tells Moses' brother Aaron, he tells him this. He says, you must distinguish between the holy and the common. Um, my page stuck. Dang. I hate that. You must distinguish between the holy and the common. 
between the unclean and the clean. And you must teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given through Moses. You must distinguish, he says, see that, between the holy and the common. Well, why? God's holy. If anything's going to be in the presence of God, it has to be holy. Common can't come into the holy. Right? So if common's going to make it into the holy, it has to be made holy before it can come into God's presence. The same is true for you and me. This is why it's, a, why it's wrong to think that you can be a good person and get to heaven. Because the standard of God is not goodness. His standard is holiness. Are you holy? You can't make yourself holy. Only Jesus can do that. This is why we need a Savior. If you think that you're going to get to heaven on your own goodness, you are in for a rude awakening. He's a holy God. And thank Jesus, he's made a way for you and me to be holy as well. And this is what the book of Leviticus is. Just imagine for a second that, like, you got this job, a new job at a nuclear power plant, let's just say. And on your first day of work, they take you into the control room, and they say, okay, listen, this button does this, this lever does that. Don't touch that button. You touch that button, we all die. Now, that's helpful information, isn't it? Like, you're working at a nuclear power plant. I don't want to push that button. In a sense, this is what God's doing with his people. He's saying, look at this. You can touch this, do this, but you want to avoid that because that's going to get you into trouble. See? And God gave this job to Aaron and the priest. They were supposed to teach the people how to distinguish the holy and the common. Like that was the priest's job. And they began with the most basic, fundamental elements of life. Food, blood, bodily fluids, skin problems. These are basics. So this right here, my friend, is holiness 101. You ready to go for it? Here we are. We start with food. Leviticus chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. By the way, I just want to ask, is food something we all understand? Has anybody in here never eaten? Anybody, like you've never eaten your whole life. You don't, nobody's never eaten? Yeah, so, so food is pretty common, isn't it? We all know what it is. And so God starts there. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. just want to read the first couple of verses. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Say to the Israelites, Of all the animals that live on the land, these are the ones you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and that chews the cud. There are some that only chew the cud or only have a divided hoof. You must not eat them. The camel, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It's ceremonially unclean for you. The hyrax, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is unclean for you. The rabbit, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is unclean for you. And the pig, the pig's the one that we all know. Why does the pig always take the heat? Like there are a lot of other unclean animals, but anyway. Okay, the pig, though it has divided hoof, does not chew the cud. It's unclean for you. You must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. They're unclean for you. Now look at verse 9, of all the creatures living in the seas, in the water. Look at that. And then look at verse 13. These are the birds you are to regard as unclean and not eat because they're unclean. So we have land animals, sea animals, air animals. Does that remind you of the Genesis account, the creation of the world? God divides animals, right? Land, sea, air so this is a hint back to creation. Remember, holiness is a return back to the way that God created. So then he moves to seafood, verses 9 to 12, moves to the birds. And then look at verse 20, okay? I don't think this needs to be in there, but it is. Verse 20, he says, all flying insects that walk on all fours. Anybody had a hankering for a flying insect in here? Had any of you guys... Like, yeah, I just, you know, every once in a while, I just get in the mood. I want to get me a good fly. You know, like, I've never thought that way. But anyway, here it is. All fours are to be regarded as unclean by you. There are, however, some flying insects that walk on all fours that you may eat. Not necessary, Lord. Really not necessary. 
Those that have jointed legs for, so you can have a grasshopper. There you go. Of these you may eat any kind of locust, Katie did, cricket or grasshoppers, but all other flying insects that have four legs, you are to regard as unclean. Let's just call them all unclean, Lord, okay? And then chapter 11 ends with these verses. Let's just read verses 44 to 47 at the end of chapter 11 here. I am the Lord your God. Uh, Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I'm holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. These are the regulations concerning animals, birds, every living thing that moves about in the water and every creature that moves along the ground. You must distinguish between the unclean and the clean, between living creatures that may be eaten and those that may not be eaten. Now, two things in those last couple of verses, just to notice real quick. Number one is this. Notice the connection between holiness and freedom. You see that in verse 45? I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt, therefore be holy. Catch it? I set you free. See, what what got you into slavery? A lack of holiness. That's what got you into slavery. And so God rescues, I get you out, and now to keep you out, you need to be holy. Holiness is about freedom. It's about enjoying the abundant life that God designed you to enjoy. And then the second thing to notice in these couple of verses is the word distinguished. You see that in the word verse, in verse 47? He wants you to distinguish between these different animals. Um, the Hebrew word for that is the word habdil. And it's the same word that's used in the creation narrative in Genesis. Remember I said all this points back to creation. So this is the same word that's used in the creation narrative when God divides, when he distinguishes the word would be, between land and sea, earth and sky, day and night, male and female. God makes these distinct, same word. In other words, it's a, it's a connection. God's, God is clearly pointing his people back to the original order of creation, saying this is what it means to live a holy life. To recognize the boundaries, to recognize the distinctions between these different things. Sin is blurred at all. You don't even know which end is up. And now I want to bring you back so that you can see these different distinctions. This is important for you and me to enjoy freedom. If we're going to enjoy freedom, we need to appreciate the borders, the boundaries, the distinctions. These are important. And God is teaching his people to do that. Now, real quick, you go, why these animals? It seems weird, doesn't it? Why would God choose these ones to be unclean? And these ones to be clean, it doesn't seem to make any sense. And the truth is this, nobody knows. So we'll just put that right out there. We're not going to get the complete perfect answer today. However, there are five theories about why God chose some to be clean and some to be unclean. And we'll just fly through them. The first theory is hygienic. You know, I mean, let's just face it, pork isn't good for you. So... Maybe the reason why God told them to not eat these certain things is they're bad for you. Except that doesn't really float because it falls apart. I mean, rabbit, that's not bad for you. And some of these other foods, are they've got a lot of good health benefits to them. So it's, see how it looks like it might, but then it doesn't. So these are all theories that people are guessing at. The second one is they think it's cultic. In other words, uh, pagan religions used pigs in their ceremonies. So God doesn't want his people to look like the pagans, so he calls pigs off limits. Um, the problem with that is that the pagans also used sheep, goats, and bulls in their ceremonies, and God didn't put them off limits for his people. So that argument breaks down. So the third theory is symbolic. Some people think that chewing the cud you know, that that's actually, the word for that is meditate. You know that the word meditation in the Bible, it literally means to chew the cud? They're the same word. And so, so God is like maybe somehow drawing a distinction with these animals to remind them to meditate on his word. 
Um, which, you know, is great, except that only applies to land animals. Birds don't chew cuds. Fish don't chew cuds. So see how it breaks down? So we got all these great ideas, but none of them really totally uh, applies to the whole thing. Uh, the fourth um, guess theory is that it's arbitrary, that God just, uh, nobody knows why, that God just did it because. He just, just literally to teach the people how to distinguish clean from unclean. That, you know, not everything is good for us. Is that, would you agree with that? I mean, sure, you can, it's good, but not everything is beneficial. Does that make sense? And perhaps this is all God is doing, is he's training his people uh, simply to think through what it is that you're putting in to your mouth. It's kind of like that show, and, and you think here, like this is the very beginning. Remember, this is like Holiness 101. So some of these things you and I already know, but they didn't. Does that make sense? So he's got to start right here with these basics. Um, it's kind of like the show, The Biggest Loser. You know, you see that somebody comes on, they're morbidly obese. What's one of the first things that they do with this person? They say, listen, pasta, white bread, that's out for you. No more pasta for you. Now, does that mean pasta's bad? Of course not. It just means that for this person, for this time, to accomplish their goals, pasta is not good for you. Now, later on, right after you've lost 200 pounds, we can talk about having a spaghetti dinner, you know, once a month if you'd like. See? And it's possible that that's all that God is doing right here with his people, is he's just simply you know, cutting these things off limits, and then, of course, later on, now you and I have bacon, because we understand I can't have it every day, but, you know, once in a while, it's a good thing with my eggs, and see, we know it now. They didn't, so that's possibly. Let me just apply this to our lives for a little bit. You know, some of us, we could think of it like this. Mm, I'm going to be careful here. Um, you know, for some of us, Having a, a beer or a glass of wine is completely off limits. You shouldn't touch it. You shouldn't even go near it. You shouldn't even have it in your house. You shouldn't be anywhere around it. it, it for you, it's a sin. For others, a glass of wine with your spaghetti, not a problem. Why? What's the difference? Well, you see... It takes some maturity to be able to distinguish the difference, to know where something fits in its proper place. And, and, if, and if, you, if you have trouble struggling to know where the proper place is for this thing, then it's off limits for you until you can reach a point where you know where it fits or doesn't fit. Does this make sense? And so, therefore, it's got to go. And, and, if this, and if right now you're not understanding what I'm saying, it's off limits for you. It's the truth. I, I'm not trying to be snarky. But if you don't understand what I just said, let me tell you up front, any alcoholic beverage is off limits for you. You just simply don't understand where it fits and where it doesn't fit. And it also takes another level of maturity to come to the place where you can cut that out completely and never feel like you're even being cheated. I, because I recognize that it's just not necessary. I don't even want it. I don't want to be a stumbling block. It's just not a necessary, important part of my life. Therefore, it never has to see it again. Does that make sense? See, this takes time to, this takes some, this takes some growing in your relationship with God to be able to see the nuances and the to be able to distinguish in some of these things. And, and this is what God is doing in these unclean and clean foods. And the, and the fifth reason, the fifth theory is this, is simply separation. Um, back in the ancient Near East, they, they would have, uh, they signed, they ratified every treaty, every, every contract was ratified over a meal. That's just how they did it back then. 
And so, you know, these pagan nations, they're eating pork, they're eating all these things. And so God, by putting the, making these things off limits for his people, essentially was keeping his people from entering into treaties and contracts with these pagan neighbors. And so that's one of the fifth possibility, the one I think that probably has the most credence, to be honest. But again, nobody fully knows, and this week in your life group, it can be fun to talk about it uh, and discuss it around and around. But um, that's just the way that it goes. You know, the truth is, the, you and I are supposed to be separate from the rest of the world. That's the idea. That's the point. This is what God's doing in his people. His people are supposed to be different. You're, you're different for a reason. How else will they know where to go if you look like they do? You know? If, if we drink the same way they do, party the same way they do, sleep around the same way they do, spend money, waste money recklessly the same way that they do, cuss the way they do, get afraid at the first sign of trouble the way they do, confuse our kids the way they do, we destroy our marriages the way they destroy their marriages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How will they see God? The point is we're supposed to be different. It might be wise for us to spend some more time in Leviticus and maybe say, okay, God, you're right. That's unclean. I'm cutting it out. All right, so let's move on. Leviticus chapter 12, I promise. These next ones will go faster. But chapter 11 sort of laid the groundwork for the whole discussion. Now let's just fly through 12, 13, 14, and 15, okay? Chapter 12, look at verse 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, a woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she's unclean during her monthly period. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. If she gives birth to a daughter for two weeks, the woman will be unclean as during her period. Then she must wait 66 days to be purified from her bleeding. Okay, first of all, it's obviously a blessing to have children. Obviously, children are a gift from God. So therefore, this here in chapter 12 is in no way, shape, or form a punishment on a woman who gives birth. So let's just take that right off the table. Let's rule that right out. We agree? It's really, it's a blessing to have a child. So that's not the heart of chapter 12, okay? Remember, why is this here? Remember, blood equals life. And <clears throat> when a childbirth happens, obviously, there's life, but there's also a loss of blood. <clears throat> and we're going to get into this a little bit in a minute when we talk about in chapter 15, but, but you know, when you think about the, a blood, the blood carries life with it. And in a sense, then, this blood gets wasted, which means life has been wasted. What, you're, what, you, what we see here in these different regulations that God gives is the reason why he, he touches on food, on birth, giving birth, on, on menstruation, on semen, on mold, on skin diseases, is because in these instances, remember God is a God of life. He's a God of life. He's all about life. And he's, about as, he's as opposed to death as you could get. And so there's this, so here's life, here's death, and God pushes death away. But in these instances, life and death dance really closely together. And so it's as if God is putting a caution sign down saying, okay, be careful, my people, because in these moments, you're dancing right on that line between life and death. So pay attention. That's why God's choosing these things to talk about first. Does that make sense? I hope you can see that. And so God is uh, cautioning them, handle this carefully. Now, some people read Leviticus 12, and they notice that the woman is unclean 
for twice as long after she has a girl as she is after she has a boy. Did you notice that? And that probably bothers you at first. It does me for sure. Because at first, in our ears, our Western ears, that strikes us as being sexist, and we don't like that at all. However, let's be honest, truthfully, nobody knows exactly why God did this, but I think one of the big theories is this, and the most plausible one, is that, again, God is trying to separate Israel from her pagan neighbors. Remember, his people are different. People are different. God's people, different. In the ancient Near East during this time, women were not at all respected. Women were the property of their husbands. They existed for the pleasure of men. Girls were considered worthless. Okay? That's the way that it was in, in this world at this time. And so God, by highlighting this, he's doing a couple of things. Number one, he's elevating women. By calling her unclean for this time period, God has literally given her a break. She doesn't have to do the chores around the household. Like, she's literally allowed to just chill, enjoy her baby, rest, off limits. Like, men, don't touch her. See? It, it was a way of actually elevating and guarding the sanctity of what that woman just did. She just gave birth, guys. See? Something that did not exist in their pagan neighbors. And then by, by calling the woman unclean for those twice the period of time that she is for a son, right? He's literally elevating the value of that baby girl. She, he's given her twice, a long, twice as long of a break <laughs> for having a daughter that she did for having a son. So in this sense, God is actually elevating ladies. Remember, sin blurs the lines, doesn't it? And holiness restores the order by putting the lines back into place. Sin blurred the lines between men and women, and women ended up being hurt as a result of it, being subjugated, being treated as nothing. It was horrible. So God begins to put these lines back into place and say, hey, guys, you respect that lady. Look at what she just did. She just gave birth for crying out loud, right? So this is what's happening. God respects, restores the respect. He honors the beauty, honors the diversity within his creation. So moving on. Okay, that's chapter 12. Um, we come to chapter 13. Chapter 13, <laughs> 59 verses. 59, count them. It's the longest chapter. On pimples, pus, boils, infected hairs. <laughs> And mold. You say, all right, let's have some fun with this one. Um, <laughs> I like verse 40. Look at verse 40. Verse 40. When a man has lost his hair and is bald, he is clean. Bald guys, get a hallelujah. Come on, Keith. Dance back there, buddy. Bald guys are clean. Yes. Like this ought to be the life verse for every bald man. Right there. Leviticus chapter 13, verse 40, yes, you are clean. Look at verse 41. Verse 41 takes it a little step further. If he's lost his hair from the front of his scalp and has a bald forehead, he's clean. So even if you've got a receding hairline, hallelujah, hallelujah. look at you, you clean man, you, look at you. Now, if you got a big old ugly sore right there, now we're, you're in trouble. We're going to talk about that. Okay, but as long as you got no hair up there, you are as clean as a baby's bottom. Look at you. So you think, man, what, <laughs> what is God doing? We've got to ask why, don't we? Seriously, you have to say, okay, Lord, this is probably one of the weirdest chapters in the whole Bible. Why is it even in there? Does it shock you to discover that God actually cares about your hairline? Or that God cares about that white head on your forehead? Does, God, does it shock you to find that God actually cares about that? One of the ways to look at these regulations in chapter 13 is this. They lived in a very closely packed tent community. Therefore, sicknesses, diseases, mold spreads like wildfire. 
So if my tent is right next to your tent and your tent has mold on it, if you don't take care of that mold in your tent, it won't be very long before my tent has mold on it. And then it won't be very long before we have a mold problem in the Israelite community. In one sense, that's really as simple as that's the reason why God would put this here. Remember, this is for these people who were living in this time. You and I, you know, you don't have to do that anymore. But let me just update this. Let's say this has happened in our family. Let's say one of your kids gets poison ivy. What's the first thing you tell that kid? Don't touch anything, right? Don't, don't you hug your sister. Don't you hug your sister, right? Why? Because you don't want that to spread. So we do the same thing, don't we? That's Leviticus chapter 13. Now we move into chapter 14. Chapter 14 tells us how to fix the problems that we encounter in chapter 13. So this is how we cleanse these skin problems, how we cleanse these issues, chapter 14. In chapter 14, verses 1 to 7, I just want you to notice this. Let me just... um, Real quick, uh, notice verse 3. The priest is to go outside the camp. So here we go. Someone has had this problem. Now they're clean. They don't have it anymore. they got to go to the priest. The priest checks them out. And then the priest does this. He goes outside the camp. He examines them. If they've been healed of their defiling skin disease, the priest shall order that two live clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop be brought for the person to be cleansed. And they'll take this, kill the bird, Seven times, verse 7, seven times he shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the deviling disease and then pronounce them clean. After that, he's to release the live bird into the open fields. Here's a cool symbol that's taking place here. Think about it, two birds, one dies, one lives. And this is really what happens when you're sick, isn't it? I mean, when you're sick, aren't these the two choices? I'm either going to recover from this and live or I'm not going to recover from this and die. And so these two birds are a vivid symbol of where this person has just been. One dies, the other lives. And then he sprinkles this water mixture on the person seven times. Isn't that interesting? Seven times. So seven times. That goes back to creation. How many days did it take God to create the world? Seven days. What did he do on the seventh day? Rested. Remember, we learned that rest is not just taking a nap, but actually the concept for Sabbath and rest is that everything is where it should be. Everything is in order, in its place. And so here we have the priest seven times. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. This person is now restored. Whole. Everything is back in its place. That's the picture. That's chapter 14. And now we come to chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. And chapter 15 is where it gets awkward. We saved the most awkward for last when you want to go home so that that way you'll pay attention. So here we are, verse 3, verse 15, chapter 15, 1 to 3. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when any man has an unusual bodily discharge, such as such a discharge is unclean, whether it continues flowing from his body or is blocked, it will make him unclean. This is how his discharge will bring about uncleanness. And then verse 4, any bed that he lays on is unclean. Verse 7, anyone who touches him is unclean. Verse 8, if he spits on someone, that person becomes unclean. And then etc., awkward, etc. And then we come to verse 19. And verse 19 says this, when a woman has her regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days, and anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. So, what's going on? As we mentioned earlier, I'll just bring us right back quick. Semen and menstrual blood are bodily fluids that dance on that line between death and life. Anytime menstruation happens, there's a potential for life, but there was a loss of life. So there's a life, there's a death. Semen, there's a potential for life, but there's also a great loss of life in both of those fluids. And God is the God of life. And so 
It's as though God again is saying, listen, folks, pay attention. When you come here, you're close. You're dancing on that line between life and death. We need to respect life and death, and so pay attention. This is simply what he's doing. He's teaching them to respect life and death, to know the difference. And you look at verse 31 in chapter 15. In verse 31, he says, You must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean, so they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. God's dwelling place is holy. Holiness is life in all of its fullness. There's no death whatsoever in the presence of God. So these basic body fluids, which contain both life and death, they create an uncleanness that's simply not acceptable in the presence of of God. And so by giving regulation regarding these fluids, God's teaching his people, holiness is life. And when we come close to death, we want to be careful. It's more of a caution sign than anything else. And remember, remember, holy, clean, unclean. Unclean needs to be clean in order to be holy. So unclean can be cleaned, can it? That's the thing we need to catch in this, is all of these can be easily solved. They're not like they're major issues. It's just, hey, it happens. Life happens. Life is a dirty job. When it happens, here's how we take care of that so that you can remain holy. Does that make sense? See, so that's the heart of it. Let me just, um, let me just close with this one thing, and then, then we'll pray. So, worship team, you can get ready for our last song if you want. Listen, being unclean. Here's an important thing to notice. Let me just say this, right? you got to catch this. Being unclean is not a sin. That's very important. It's not a sin to be unclean. But it does impact my closeness with God. It does. Therefore, it needs to be taken care of. I need to pay attention to it. But unclean is not a sin. It's not a sin to have a menstrual cycle, ladies. It's not a sin to have semen, guys. Not a sin to have a skin problem. It's not a sin to even eat and touch uh, a pig. Really, if you, if you think about that, you know, we've often thought that it was a sin for them to eat bacon, but it really wasn't. Nowhere in chapter 11 does God say it was a sin. He just says it's unclean. And when you eat it, you have to do this. So even the eating of those foods was not a sin, per se. It was just unclean. Life is a dirty job. And if you and I are going to live holy for God in the middle of all of the dirt of life, because I can't live at church all the time, right? This is what God is teaching us in these regulations. Hey, pay attention. When you get close to life and death, pay attention. Be careful. We still get unclean. You and I still get unclean. Well, how does that happen? I mean, it's not because you ate bacon for breakfast, but there are other things that make you unclean that need to be dealt with. At the risk of being legalistic, please forgive me, that's not my heart. I'm not trying to do that, but I'm trying to help us to apply this. Is that okay? Do you see my heart in that? I'm just trying to help us bring some application to these very weird passages in the Bible. Here's, here's the deal. Uh, let me just throw out a couple of scenarios where you might feel unclean. Um, you get invited, you go to an office party, and it's at some bar somewhere, and you're there. You go because you're, you know, that's where you work, and you're not doing anything wrong by going there, but the longer you're there, the more you feel like you shouldn't be there. Unclean. Uh, or like your buddies invite you over to their house on Friday night, you know, from school, and you got a party, and you're there, and then they're smoking pot, and they're drinking, and you're, all your high school buddies are there, and you just know, you, know in the, you have that, in the pit of your stomach, like, man, it's not the place for me. I shouldn't be here. Not a spot I should be. Unclean. Have you sinned by going? No. Is it a sin to be there? No. 
but yet at the same time, you know you should leave. How about this one? Uh, in class, your teacher brings up a subject. It's, uh, you know, and the whole discussion just makes you completely uncomfortable, and it just leaves you feeling gross, right? Well, it's school. You can't just leave school. So what do you do? It's, does that make sense? It's unclean. It's not a sin for you to be there, but you know it's not right, and you just, eh, you feel nasty. How about uh, another one? You watch a movie, or you hear a song, and, and, or, and, or you're talking to the guys, and they start sharing raunchy jokes. And again, you're there, but you just get this sick feeling in the pity. Like, this is not the place for me. This really, I shouldn't be here. That's unclean. Am I helping you to see the difference? These things are not sin, but you know it's not right. And we get dirty by them. And, and God is with us through it all. But we don't want this stuff to build up because if this stuff builds up in our lives, it creates separation between us and God. I don't want that. I want to enjoy close fellowship with God. So what do I do? Well, Leviticus, they had a priest that helped them do all this jazz. But you have Jesus. You don't need to do that every time. They did, you know, every time. Here's what you do. Here's what I do. You know, first of all, I get out if I can. I mean, if I got that sick feeling, you leave. Turn off the movie. Shut off the song. Walk away. You're like, if you can, do it. No need to stay. And then... And then I talk to Jesus. I'm like, Jesus, okay, so that was not good. And I, that grieved me. I can only imagine how that must have grieved you, Lord. So, God, I'm sorry for that. And yuck, I'm thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for being my friend. You know, I just sort of reconnect with Jesus in prayer and, and move on. I mean, it's not a sin. You don't have to, all right? But reconnect with the Lord and acknowledge it was nasty and move on see now let me just close and talk with two people quick because there are some of us in here you you don't even know what i'm talking about you've never had that feeling you've never had that sense that you're in the wrong place there's one of two things that's happening this is serious Either you've become calloused and hardened, the Bible calls it, to sin. Or you're not even saved at all. Because if the Spirit of God lives in you, you're going to... What I'm talking about is really a grieving of the Spirit. And when the Spirit of God lives in you, you're going to sense that grief and you're going to sense that disconnect. And you're like, i got to get out of here. If you don't have the Spirit of God living in you, that means you're not saved. It means you're on your way to hell. And, but, I want you to, but, but I want you to hear the good news. Before you leave this place, before this song finishes, we can solve that problem. Right here, right now. It's, it's called repent. It's, it's, called, it's called acknowledging that God is God, confessing that He's God, that you're not. It's, it's called, God, I, I admit that your way, your will is what's best, and I want that will. And I want, I want a relationship with you, God. I want closeness with you, God. I don't want there to be anything between you and me, God. We can pray with you right here and solve that issue before you go today. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.